Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John 14. We're going to be continuing in the series that we've been in for almost two years, not quite, two years. Uh, We're going to be in John 14 today, and as you're turning there, the title of the message today is Let Not Your Hearts Be Troubled. And one thing I've learned over the years is that, you know, as human beings, we are not good listeners. Did you hear that? As human beings, we are not good listeners. We don't have good listening skills. We tend to hear what we want to hear. And a lot of times we ignore the most important details of what someone is is telling us. And when I was in eighth grade, I had a teacher who knew this. Her name is Mrs. Vaughn. I don't know if any of you guys had Mrs. Vaughn, but she knew that we had poor listening skills, so she went through this exercise with us to help us to learn to listen. She said, she stood up in front of the room one day and she said, it and didn't little kitten, oat and dot and little boatin, is skilly oat and dot and bodo skadeet and dot and wadot and chew. Repeat that after me, okay? Now, repeat that after me. All right, here's how she taught. Now, this has been at least 10 years ago when I was in eighth grade that, this, that uh, I learned this, so I still remember it. But I had to listen. She did this. She said, and I want you to do this with me, okay? She started by breaking it down into small pieces. She said, wadot and chew. Bodo skadeetan dot and wadot and chew. Is skilly oatin dotin. Bodo skadeetan dotin. Wadot and chew. Some of you charismatic people are like, finally, right? It and didn't little kitten. Oatin dotin little boatin. Is skilly oatin dotin. Bodo skadeetan dotin. Wadot and chew. You know, we, we have to listen in order to learn. Go back and listen to the podcast if you really want uh, to mem- memorize that. JC? And how long did it take you to learn? It took us a few weeks, but we kept working until we learned it. And I, and I still remember it today. And this is very similar to what God does in his word, isn't it? He repeats himself over and over, truths that we by nature don't naturally get. We're not good listeners, are we? And we're easily forgetful of what we've been taught. And that's what's happened in our passage today. If you remember, for the past two weeks, we've been with Jesus in the upper room. Jesus is with his disciples in his final hour. He is sharing a meal with them, and I can guarantee you that when those disciples entered the room, they were excited. They were encouraged because a few days earlier, a week or so earlier, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Amazing. And as he enters into Jerusalem, the crowds come out to him. We'll be celebrating, this is what we call Palm Sunday. They come out, they're excited. They've heard of this Jesus, all these great signs he has done. And they come out excited, waving palm branches, and they also take... They're cloaks, and they lay him in front of him as he rides on a colt. 
a little donkey that has never been ridden on. And the disciples are so excited because this was, was a messianic prophecy that the Messiah would enter into Jerusalem riding on a colt. So no doubt they are excited about this Passover. Even when he was coming into Jerusalem, the disciples, the scriptures say, they were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But there was a problem. They thought that they were about to rule with Jesus. They're like, this is the time. But there was a problem. They weren't good listeners. Because in Matthew 20, Jesus clearly told them this. See, this is before he goes to Jerusalem. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, speaking of himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. They didn't remember him saying this, but he said this several times to them. They weren't good listeners. But one thing that they had heard from Jesus, they had heard the promise that, hey, if you come and follow me, you will also reign with me later. And so the disciples took Jesus at his word when they heard that promise, and they had forsaken everything in order to follow Jesus, their wives, their homes, their possessions. And now in the upper room, as they are sharing a final meal together with Jesus, Jesus shakes their reality by dropping four truth bombs on them. Number one, he says this, before you reign, you've got to learn to serve one another. You've got to learn to wash one another's feet, love one another as I have loved you. Secondly, this was a huge atomic bomb. He says, I'm leaving, and you can't come with me. Imagine the look on the disciples' faces. Third, one of you in this room is about to betray me. You're going to turn me in to be crucified. And fourthly, he looks at Peter and says, you know what? You're one of the top disciples in here, but you are going to deny me. You're going to deny that you even know me. Not just once, not twice, but three times you're going to say that you don't know me. So, like Terry said last week, there's no doubt that there was a lot of confusion and chaos in this room. And Jesus, aware of this, in, our, in chapter 14, he realizes that his disciples are becoming fearful, and so he begins to comfort them with the same words that he wants to comfort us with this morning. No doubt, some of us in this room, our hearts are troubled. No doubt, our hearts are fearful. And these are the words that Jesus says, beginning with chapter 14, verse 1. Let's listen. Let's be good listeners. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Notice that Jesus brings comfort through two commandments. One is a negative, one is a positive. The negative, what is it? Don't let your hearts be troubled. The positive, how do you not let your hearts be troubled? By believing in God and by believing in me. 
And so Jesus desires that his disciples, every one of us who is following him, he desires that we would walk courageously and in strength because fear is a horrible master. Fear is a horrible master. If your heart is ruled by fear, it will conform you into someone that you don't want to be. And you'll do things that you don't want to do to please people who you shouldn't be trying to please. Think about Peter. Think about Peter. Why did he deny Jesus? Because he was afraid of what? A little servant girl. He was afraid of her. Fear had gripped his heart. And so Jesus does not, God does not want us to be fearful. And all throughout the Bible, there's that negative and that positive commandment. Do not fear, trust in God. I want to look at three of those uh, passages in the Old Testament where God says this. In Joshua 1.9, if you're familiar with the Word of God, this is probably a, a verse you've heard a lot. He's talking to Joshua. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For, and here's the reason, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then we look at 1 Chronicles 28, 20. David is talking to his son Solomon. He says, "Be again, he says, be strong and courageous and act. Don't just sit there, but act. Do not fear or be dismayed, for, here it is, the Lord, my God, is with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you until all the work of the service of the house of the Lord is finished. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 41, verse 10 says, Do not fear. Here it is again. Do not fear, for why? Say it with me. I am with you. Now, let's do that again, because do not fear. Why? For I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, like looking for some other escape, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. How many of us need strength right now? Surely I will help you. If you want someone to help you, who better than God, right? I will uphold you. I won't let you fall down when I grab you with my righteous right hand. So the antidote for a frightened and anxious and jittery heart is not busyness. That is not the antidote. Nor, not trusting in ourselves, not, not trusting in others, putting our faith in others or our circumstances. But the cure for a fearful heart, according to the Word of God, is faith in God. And notice that Jesus says, believe in God, or you believe in God, believe also in me. What's he doing here? Once again, Jesus is, is making himself equal with God. If you're, and if you're following Jesus this morning, listen, if you're a disciple of Jesus and you are following him and you have stepped out in faith to follow him, and right now, this morning, where you're sitting, because you're following Jesus, your heart is anxious and it's trembling and unsettled. These are words for you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And after saying this, Jesus 
continues to comfort his disciples by turning their attention to a place, a place called heaven. We're going to look at it in verse uh, 2 in just a second. And if you're taking notes, I've got three gospel truths from this passage that Jesus has given us that I believe are meant to bring peace and rest to our hearts. So the first one is this. Number one, heaven is a place. Heaven is a place. Let's look at verse, verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. Jesus is speaking about God the Father. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus says, don't be afraid. Trust in God. Trust in me. Because listen, my Father has a house. Or a place. He's being, I think he's being figurative. I don't think God lives in a house. But there's a place where God dwells. And in that place, there is a lot of room for all y'all. For all y'all, right? And he's talking about heaven. He's saying, if you are mine, if you're my disciple, be at peace. Trust me. There is a place where my Father dwells. And you will be richly rewarded if you continue to follow me. Now, let's be real here. When I use the word, say, heaven, what comes to your mind? Let's, let's be honest here. Streets of gold, that's right. The pavement is made out of, the cheap stuff is made out of gold in heaven. But if you're, if you're like me, it's, it's really hard to really envision what heaven's like, isn't it? I mean, if we're being honest... Um, it's difficult to grasp. It's a, it's a concept that kind of seems to be kind of airy. When I say, in my Father's house are many rooms, in my mind, if I don't sit and really think about it, I think about white sheetrock rooms, right? Just empty rooms. I'm like, I don't want to go there. Do you? <laughs> Let's be real. When was the last time you heard a message on heaven? Right now. Is the time, right? So after today. But he's talking about a place that's exciting. But oftentimes we think of clouds, right? And we're kind of like these spiritual beings that kind of float around. And maybe if you play a harp. I mean, to me that is boring, isn't it? I hope that's boring to you. And this is very common. In, in John Eldridge's book, The Journey of Desire, he writes... Nearly every Christian I have spoken with has some idea that eternity is an unending church service. We have settled on an image of the, un- the never-ending, sing-along-in-the-sky, one great hymn after another, forever and ever, amen. And our heart sinks if we're telling the truth. Forever and ever, that's it? That's the good news. And then we sigh and feel guilty that we're not more spiritual. We lose heart and we turn once more to the present to find what life we can. Why would we want to leave something that we can feel, see, and touch, and taste and go to a place that's unknown to us? And yet, listen, that's what Jesus is doing in this passage He's pointing his disciples to a place known as heaven. In his book, Heaven, Randy Alcorn, he says, we cannot anticipate or desire 
what we cannot imagine. You cannot anticipate something or desire something that you cannot imagine. Can you imagine heaven? We need to because in Matthew 6, Jesus tells us, store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. And then in, first, uh, in, Corinthians, in Colossians 3, 1, Paul instructs us, set your hearts, set your affections, set your minds on what? Things above. He's talking about heaven. But humanly speaking, I am not going to store up treasures. I am not going to set my mind on something that I cannot imagine. And imagination is a wonderful, wonderful powerful gift that God has given us, isn't it? The things that we can imagine. We can use it for good or we can use it for evil. But we, we often use our imagination to achieve things. For example, if you go to work, if you've been given a job by God and you go to work, hopefully you go, right? Why? So that you can accomplish something meaningful. Now, maybe you're sitting there going, I hate my job, but you still go. Why? Because you imagine the paycheck that you're going to get at the end of the week so that you can go out and maybe do what you want to do. How about you students? We got any students in the, in the room? Yes, very a few students, right? Why do you study or why should you study? Because you imagine that when you get that piece of paper and walk across that stage, it's going to open up all these doors for you to just live the life that you want to. But you have to use your imagination. Dudes that go to the gym, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, right? But that go to the gym, you imagine that you're going to attract the women like honey to a bear. You're imagining that. Is Lisa here this morning? Okay, well, in the words of Lisa, you wish... That's what Lisa would say, right? <laughs> and in a similar way, if we are to anticipate, if we are to, to desire heaven, we need to be able to imagine it. And the Word of God talks about heaven more than you might think. In, in Revelation 21 and 22, it talks a lot about that. Go, go read Revelation 21 and 22 after... Um, we're done with our service. It talks about that the present heavens, talking about the, the moon and the stars and, and the, the universe, and the current earth are going to be replaced. They're going to be replaced with new heavens and new earth. We like new things, don't we? Like new tennis shoes. Love that, right? We like toothpaste that says new and improved on it. I mean, that's how they sell things. We like things that are new. And God has is, is said, I'm going to make this earth new. He says, I'm going to give you new. Those of you who follow me, those of you who believe in Jesus, I'm going to give you new glorified bodies. Think about that. New glorified bodies. Now, husbands, this is where you need to go. You already got yours to your wife, okay? And heaven, listen, is going to be, that was so bad. Heaven is going to be located where? On the new earth. We're going to, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus are going to be given new bodies 
to walk on the new earth. We're not going to be living in the clouds. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 25, verses 6 and 8. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that it cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up, look, death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. I personally believe, there's lots of thoughts on heaven, and I'm not going to be dogmatic about what I'm about to say, but I personally believe that God is going to take this earth that we, are, that we live on, and he's going to make it new, as in back to the way it was originally meant to be with Adam and Eve. That's what I believe. There's other beliefs, and I'm not saying that, that mine is correct. But it's at least going to be like it was in the Garden of Eden. And in that place, there's, what do you think is going to be in heaven? Don't get there. Not Jesus. Yes, he will, but not yet. <laughs> heaven. There's going to be laughter in heaven, right? Do you think that there's going to be laughter in heaven? Yes. Do you think Jesus ever laughed? I hope so. He does. He's full of, uh, to laugh at the right things. There's going to be singing and dancing. Listen, at the beginning, before we started the service, there was about five or six little girls up here just dancing. They didn't care uh, that anyone was watching them, but they were dancing. There will be dancing. We will be doing meaningful work with our hands, creating things. If you enjoy art, creating art, maybe writing songs, maybe writing books, everything that your heart desires, we will be allowed to do because we will be sinless. We won't have to question it. And we'll be able to do it to the glory of God. We'll be able to sit around and talk to the great saints that we've read about in the Word of God. David, man, when you let that stone go, what, what was Goliath's face like when it came in there and crushed his skull? You know, Talking to the great saints. And talking to saints that we, we don't even know about. Hearing their stories. And there's a great feast that's going to be there. And Jesus said, I'm going to serve there. It's a wonderful place for those who believe because the curse of sin has been removed. And you know, our hearts, all of our hearts, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, we all long for an eternal place to live with eternal purpose. We want to return to paradise that has been lost. And in verse 3, Jesus says, And I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So, number one, heaven is a place, but number two, heaven is a person. It's not just a place, it's a person. And, and, and if, you if you don't love God, then heaven for you probably is a place that I described, minus all the, the God stuff. Um, it's a place where you can exist and follow just the desires of your heart. And sadly, if you don't love God, if you don't believe in God, you don't want God to be there. And that's because you don't want someone telling you what to do. 
You, you want to be kind of like that, you know, that teenager that's living at home that just can't wait to get out so they can be free to do whatever they want to do because they're tired of people telling them what to do. That's kind of like what it is for someone that doesn't want God to be in heaven. And if that's you this morning, I want to invite you to reconsider. To reconsider that you would come to Jesus, the living Jesus, and taste and see that the Lord is good. You want him to be there. And now for the believers, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, those of us who love Jesus, heaven is a place, but heaven would not be heaven if Jesus is not there for the believer. Amen? Amen. If Jesus is not there, it is not heaven. It's kind of like Ocean Isle Beach. Ocean Isle Beach is a place that uh, my family has been able to go to for about 15 or so years. God has, has blessed us to be able to do that. We've gone to the same beach house for about 12 years. And when we go there, there's certain smells, there's certain sounds. Just talking about it gets me excited to think about going there, right? I hope that you, know, that you have a place like that on earth. But listen, if I were to go there and my family wasn't with me, or friends, we've had friends come with us, and nobody was there but me, I would be happy for two days. Okay, but after that, it would no longer be a taste of heaven for me on earth. Why? Because a heaven on earth for me and for, for others is the relationships that we have. And that's what Jesus is communicating in verse 3 when he talks about, I am uh, going to go away, but I'm going to come again to take you to be with me. Now remember, the disciples are troubled. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm leaving you. They, and they had let, look, they had left everything. Have you ever been scammed? They left everything to follow him, and now he's going, hey, I'm leaving. Think about what they were feeling. They, they might have even been feeling a little bit betrayed by him. And Jesus does not comfort them by just talking about a place. He talks about a place and him coming and being with them so that they could be with him in that place. It's kind of like going to Kmart as a kid, right? I remember my mom would take me to Kmart, and sometimes she would take me in the toy aisle. Toy aisle. The toy, you know what I'm talking about? It might, I don't know. Walmart, wherever it is today, but it was the toy. And I was like, she'd be like, I'll be right back, right? So you're playing with that toy, and then all of a sudden you look up, and mom is not there. Have you ever been lost in, in Kmart? That feeling that's no longer, I don't care about this toy anymore. I just want mom. That's what the disciples are feeling. They want Jesus. That's what the heart of a true disciple wants is Jesus. And, and that's why it's, it's not just a place but it's a person. The child of God does not want heaven if Jesus is not there. And in verse 4, Jesus says, And you know the way where I'm going. You know the way. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Now take note. Thomas right here, take note of Thomas. We can learn from him. He's not pretending like he knows what's going on. He's, he's saying, I, I don't get what you're talking about. And he's not doubting Jesus right now. He's asking, he's seeking, he's knocking. This is how we grow in our faith. He wants to know the truth. And in verse 6, 
Jesus replies. This is one of the most famous quotes in the Bible. Uh, It's one of the the quotes that gets us into hot water, us disciples. If you're a disciple of Jesus, this is a quote that gets you in hot water. Let's read it together. Read this with me. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, the word in this verse that gives it dynamite is a two-letter Greek word, ho, H-O. It's translated as the in English. You see it? It's the definite article. Jesus uses the definite article here. He could have used the indefinite article. He could have said, you know, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life, I am a way to the Father, but he doesn't. Instead, he draws a deep, deep line in the sand, and he he declares this, I am the only way to God. I am the full truth about God, and I am the meaning of life from God. That is a powerful statement. In other words, he's saying this, if you reject me, then you're rejecting God. There is no other option. That's what he's saying in verse 6. That's why it's so powerful, because we live in a pluralistic society, which on the surface encourages us to be diverse, to be tolerant, and to be accepting of everyone's religions around us. That's that's the society that we live in. Let's just let's just coexist together. Now that has that type of thinking, if you really go into it, has a lot of problems with it. Um, but the main problem for a Christian with this thinking is that Jesus says that he is the only way and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Is Jesus really the only way? Did Jesus really believe that? Well, think about it. In a few hours, he's going to be in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. He's praying while his disciples are over there sleeping. He's praying drops of blood. He's saying, Father, all things are possible with you. If there's any other way, what? Take this cup from me. Isn't that what he prayed? And the father said, you are the only way, my son. And Jesus said, okay, not my will, but thine be done. If there were other ways to God, Jesus would not have gone through all that he went through. Why would he? Why would he need to? Why would God sacrifice his son if there were other ways to him? Jesus put in way too much work. He gave way too much for us to just consider him to be another way. And you know, we need to also understand this, disciples. This is what Jesus teaches. We need to to grasp this. This isn't what I I teach, Like, like I made this up. This isn't, disciple, when you're saying this, you're not saying something that you made up. You're saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. And if I'm going to be a faithful follower, I'm going to say what he said. This is what Jesus said. Now, we know this to be true. 
those of us who have received him, those of us who, who have had our sins forgiven by his blood, we know that there is no other way. But I, I'm going to be honest with you. There are times that I am get away from the word, and I start listening. I'm like, well, maybe, you know, maybe there are other ways. I mean, but this passage brings me back. If there was another way, then why would Jesus go through all that and be put to death? We must faithfully teach what our master has taught us. Otherwise, we are not truly his disciples. In verse 7 through 11, Jesus continues to talk about his equality and unity with God. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. The Father is is in Jesus, was in Jesus doing his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus says, I am the way to God. I am the truth of God. I am what brings meaning to life and that gives life meaning. I and the Father are one. He's comforting his disciples. By telling them, don't listen, I'm leaving, but don't let your hearts be troubled. You got the right one. You're, you've got the right one. Keep trusting in God. Keep trusting in me. Because there's a place called heaven where my father goes, and I'm coming back. I'm going to prepare a place there, and I'm going to come back and get you. And heaven is also... It's a, it's a place that God, Jesus invites us into a partnership with himself. Verse 12 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, remember that by nature we're not good listeners. And if we're not careful, we will take verse 14 and interpret it something like, ask whatever you want, and Jesus will do it for you. We'll, we'll devise some type of like name it, claim it theology. But that's not what Jesus said. Let's look at um, verse 13, because this is the key to verse 14. Whatever you ask in my name, Whatever you ask according to who I am, according to my, my, my nature, this I will do, and here's the key, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That is the condition. Do you want God to be glorified? Because that's what Jesus' desire is. If what you desire is to glorify God, he says, ask for that. And I will do it through you. Not so that you can be glorified. If, you're, if the truth is that you want God to be glorified, 
He will do that through us. And in verse 12, Jesus invites his disciples to partner with him by continuing the work that he has already started. And what is that work? This is the work to continue to reveal God, to reveal who God is in the world through Jesus. And he wants to empower us to do that. And that is, the, and, and really, isn't that the desire of your heart, if you're truly his disciple, that Jesus would be glorified through you? What greater compliment can you get than someone said, you know what, I see Jesus in you. That's what the heart of the, of the believer wants to hear. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about heaven. And you might be thinking, well, what about the gospel? Is the gospel in this passage? And I would say, yes, this is a very gospel-centered passage because in verses 2 and 3, when Jesus says that I'm going to prepare a place for you, he's not, right here, he's not talking about going back to heaven and pulling out his his tools and and starting to build a, a city for us. He's talking about the cross. I go to prepare a place for you. You see, heaven has been prepared by God. The place has been prepared by God for righteous people. For those who are sinless. Did you hear that? For sinless people. Revelation 21-27 is clear that nothing impure will ever enter into the city, the holy city. Only those who are without sin may enter in to heaven. In other words, you have to be perfect. you got to be perfect to go to heaven. If you are guilty of sin, you cannot enter. And the problem with that, though, is this. None of us are perfect, right? And that's why Jesus had to go to the cross for us. He went to the cross to unlock the gates of heaven for us that we might enter. See, he was, he was put upon the cross and punished for our sin so that we would not be punished for our sin. And then the righteousness, his perfect life, he lived perfectly. If we'll switch places with him, he'll put his righteousness upon us and we can walk right into those gates of heaven. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And I want you to enter in. So put your faith in God. Put your faith in me. And this morning, if you have not yet come to Jesus, I want to I just one more time encourage you. Put your faith in Jesus. Turn from sin. Turn to Jesus and believe in what he's done for you. And for the rest of us who have, have believed in him, listen, listen. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe, believe also in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.